welcome to the first ever episode of Farming for the Future. This episode was recorded at Fernvero Farm, a 16-acre biodynamic farm located on the foothills of the Black Mountains in Wales. Fernvero supplies the restaurant Spring, which is located in London, um, with fantastic flowers and seasonal veg. I recorded this episode on the last ever day of my six-week placement at Fernvero. I'm really grateful to Jane Scotter and to the lovely Dee, Bibi and Joanna, the permanent growers, for letting me interview them about their journeys into growing. I started this podcast to document my attempts to learn more about farming and I'm hoping that it can be a useful tool for people who want to learn more about growing or maybe to enter the growing space. Together we can learn new things, make some mistakes and hopefully have fun. So in that vein, I'm going to try and give a rough explanation of biodynamic farming, which I have really pinched from Wikipedia. Biodynamic farming is not wholly dissimilar from organic farming. It emphasises the use of manures, composts, and does not use any synthetic or artificial fertilisers, pesticides, herbicides on any soil or plant. This type of farming developed in 1924 from the ideas of Austrian spiritualist Rudolf Steiner. You might recognise him from Steiner Schools. Some of the methods used include astrological sowing and a planting calendar. At Fernvero, for example, we use the Maria Tun calendar. Maria Tun was influenced by Steiner, who encouraged farmers to sow by the moon. So if the moon is ascending or descending, which I like to think of as the, as the moon breathing in or out, it will determine whether or not it is a good day to plant or to work on the roots or the fruits, or maybe it's an unfavourable day. An unfavourable day means that none of the soil should be touched. I know that modern day farmers tend to use these calendars as helpful guides rather than strict guidelines. So, for example, if it is a Monday and it's a harvest day and it's also an unfavourable day, I think the farmers are going to harvest. What makes biodynamic agriculture different from organic farming is that it uses herbal and mineral additives for compost and field sprays. And this is where it gets a bit more mystical. Take, for example, the 500 fertiliser method. In this method, you get cow manure, stuff it in a cow horn, bury it underground for a year. You then dig it up, stir it into a big vat of water, stir it clockwise for 30 minutes or so, and then anti-clockwise for another 30 minutes or so. And then you spread it over your fields. Apparently, this harvests cosmic forces in the soil, or I might argue it acts as a kind of giant probiotic for the soil. Another benefit is that it can be a communal activity which can bring together everyone on the farm, which is always a positive thing. Now, biodynamics might sound strange, but I think that Jane's produce is a testament to the effectiveness of such practices. I will include some more useful links in the show notes if you want to learn more. Um, But if you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So welcome to the first ever episode of Farm for the Future. Thank you for coming on it. You're most welcome. I'm very happy to be here. Great, good. Okay, so my first question, if we get straight in, Mm -hmm. is how and why did you first enter the food industry? I've always worked in food. I um, wasn't very good at school, um, didn't like school very much, and... um, so my parents didn't really know what to do with me, particularly. Left school at 16, no qualifications whatsoever. And, um, but I had been brought up with really good food. 
Mm. And so they thought, well, we'll send her, um, teach her, uh, you know, how to cook. So I went to a Colombo cooking school. Yeah. And got into, um, yeah, just learned to do that. That was, you know, a job that I could do. And I went to live in France for a while and all these sorts of things. And then, um, so when I had finished that, I did do kind of, uh, you know, um, what's that? I can't remember what it's called now. Um, director's lunches you know so you went to an office mm. and you cooked for the owners of that company mm. um instead of them going out and spending lots of money on you know expenses and so on they'd have a dining room inside so I did that for a while which was nice uh got fed up with that um and then I stumbled across Neil's Yard Dairy they were just beginning and uh, I joined that and Within a year or so, I was, um, I, I became partner of Neil's Yard Dairy, um, just because it, it, I think I was the only one that was willing to stay. Um, mm. It was a part of a big decision process there. It was a, quite a struggle at the beginning, the very beginning. Um, and I stayed and, um, yeah, just really loved the work there. So that was my journey into, um, into yeah, Working with food, I suppose, having a career in food. Mm. Um, and then, um, yeah, I love travelling the country, finding the cheesemakers. And basically, not so much me, but my partner, Randolph Hodgson, he, you know, ba- saved the British cheese industry. Mm. I mean, um, you know, and that is, you know, he got an MBE for that and, uh, you know, absolutely, totally and utterly deserved. Mm. Um, now it's a multi-million pound business and... Uh, uh, the the industry is a multi-million pound business and um, has really saved some, you know, real form of really mm. good kind of um, agriculture. Yes. Um, and then uh, I did that for, I think, about 18 years. Um, and then I had a change of sort of personal circumstance and I did have this yearning for the country, I guess, and I used to come to this area. Yeah. Um, when my children were really small, um, a girl who worked for me, she had a, her father had a cottage. So he and I came, it was very, very, very basic. And I used to go, I used to absolutely love it. So this was the area that I wanted to come to. And I just thought, right, I'm going to do that. Mm. Um, I'm going to grow food. <laughs> super, super naive. Um, had absolutely, I couldn't even grow a pot plant, nothing, all the sort of geraniums. And I can remember trying to, grow amaryllis now when I think about how much I know now mm. um really you know, ridiculous why didn't I change the soil why didn't I water it you know all those things I couldn't do anything so came here and then the sort of harsh I mean I was you know lucky for the first couple of years I had sort of financial uh you know I had my finances were fine um due for, you know from leaving the dairy and so on um and um and no mortgage and all that sort of thing so um, but then I just realised that it was a huge amount of work mm. for very little money. Um, but I've always been in that kind of um, uh, higher end, I suppose, and knowing about quality and yeah. I know what's good, I know what people like, I know what's different, I know what tastes good. And so I just went along that line and, you know, use my old customers from the dairy um, to sort of be my first customers. Yeah. And then it went on from there. That's brilliant. Mm. And 
that kind of brings me nicely onto the second question, which is why why biodynamic farming? Because it's the best. Yeah. I always like to do the best because I I can't imagine doing anything else. I'm a sort of person who um, you know, I can't draw, so I'm not you know I really can't do it, and I wouldn't even try to do it because I can't do it well. I don't like doing something unless it's the best I can possibly do, or mm-hmm. it can be done. Um, I didn't know it was the best at the beginning, but um, they were the most helpful people when we were looking for the certification bodies. Yeah. Really friendly, really helpful. And then looking into it, it's just, uh, it makes sense. It's very complicated language. Mm. Um, and just because that people are quite removed from that kind of thinking yeah or not not kind of removed they are very removed from that kind of thinking and um so um I liked it 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 meant something to me resonated with me and um also the dynamic calendar is really really good about telling you what you what there are so many jobs yeah it just make gives it an orderly like a sort of guide in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know which way the door to turn each day. Oh, it's yeah. a route day today, so we have to do everything with that. Um, so uh, it works. Uh, it's very, very... It's strict in its own way, mm. but in a very a human kind of way, in a very compassionate way. And I like that. Um, but uh, you can really trust the standards. Yeah. Um, you can't. You can't get away with, you know, anything, um, and it's. Um, I like that the integrity of it, and 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 it works, and it does produce. I think the best produce that you can. Yeah. Can grow. There's an interesting correlation, maybe, and maybe disagree, but with Neil's yard, there's a huge emphasis on kind of seasonality and mm-hmm. British growers mm-hmm. and artisan. Do you think that obviously fan vera with vegetables, but it's also flowers? Yes. Do you think that there is a growing movement in the UK of flower growers? Massive at the moment. It's very yeah. fashionable at the moment. And it's very fashionable, I think it was just starting before Brexit, but Brexit really took it to the fore mm. um, because of the florists were finding that the prices of flowers coming from Holland and so on were really high. And I think they turned to the British growers. We are only producing something like some terrible percent, like fifteen percent of the, wow. the yeah the, the flowers oh grown in this country. Um, and uh, the demand is there for flowers with a bit more character. Hopefully, that isn't a fashion. Um, it is. It's difficult to grow flowers in this country because we have such. Um, the weather is always changing and mm. unpredictable. Um, whereas in Holland, um, say. You know, in Holland, they they just kind of have better summers than we do, and they're set up to do it. Is what they do. Yeah, it's not organic. It's not these things, um, mm. and you can see why it isn't, mm. um, because it is so hugely important to the country. What we need here is somebody to step forward and become a large flower grower. Okay, but at the moment, what we've got is lots of different people. Some of them sort of hobbies, there's some really good growers, really good, but no one's doing it on, you know, a hundred acre scale. No yeah. one. So that's what we need to take to launch us into a bigger 
yeah. a bigger thing. Um, and that would be great. Do you think, does there anyone you think of that would, would you do that? If, if, uh, someone... uh, if I was asked to help to do that, then yeah, definitely, without a doubt. Wow. Um, because um, I'd like to raise, you can't get organic tulip bulbs. Yeah. Growing tulips is, a, you know, producing a tulip variety is a five-year process. Love to do that, but you need time, space, money, yeah. all these sorts of things to get that to get that going. But it would be fantastic yeah. to, to do, and I think there'd be I think it would be very well received. And I think that is what Brexit, the sort of positive side of Brexit, will bring: is that we have to be more resourceful, and we will be. We have such amazing soil and climate to grow mm. things. It is tricky growing flowers. Tulips, we could grow well, I think, um, yeah. just because we have lots of water and in general it's kind of fine. But yeah. to make them, to get them to be organic, which is super important, is going to add to the, add to it a lot, I think. Yeah, and, and to talk mm. about soil, so when you first came to this particular land, was the soil already of like a good quality or did you have to like regenerate it yourself? It was good quality because it had never been fiddled with. So okay. it was good quality. It had never had, um, as far as, you know, because we had to kind of research it yeah. and find out that it hadn't had pesticides. You know, this is not, this is poor land, mm. you know, so people aren't looking to grow here. It's just for grazing. Okay. So they hadn't really, you know, mm. bothered to throw anything on it, to kill anything off because, you know, sheep were just grazing on it. So... That was that was definitely a plus. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've never had poor. You know, we haven't had to build up fertility in that way. Yeah. We've always, I think, we've always applied the right amount, right amount of compost and manure and so on. Yeah. And it's been fine. Um, but uh, but now you know it takes. They say it takes ten years to build. You know that, yeah. that quality. But I think we have it very you know very strongly from the beginning just because it had not been um you know it hadn't had pesticides or uh, yeah or, or um yeah, um like herbicides herbicides quite, yeah. and um you know what i mean fertilizers. Like fertilizer, yeah. yeah and and how do you test soil do you like dig a hole and take it to a lab or what was your process no, i don't i don't i've never done that yeah um i'm just not a very technical uh, grower I don't know lots of things like that um I would much rather go by observation and intuition mm. um and you know I know enough now um maybe I can't put the science yeah, yeah, yeah. wording to it but um I know by looking at soil you know what it's what it's yeah. got and what's growing there what's yeah. growing there and how it's growing and what it looks like yeah. how healthy it is tells me what the soil is like okay so um yeah yeah, don't need to test soil. It's all all good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and another question. So, the farming industry has a very male stereotype and image mm -hmm. surrounding yeah. it. Did you find that a problem or an obstacle when you first joined? And I guess the second question to that is: Do you think it's changing? It probably is changing, uh, but I've never had any problem with that sort of thing. Okay. I think because I'm. Uh, a strong character, if you know, for want of a better word, phrase. Um, no, I'm very determined, and um, uh, yeah, I need 
I, you know, men, we need men to, uh, obviously, um, but um, no, I, I've never, I mean, I found things as, you know, um, you know, locally, you know, sort of um, people kind of, oh, well, that's, you know, my dear and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and you just go along with that and, um, but you just do what you do. And yeah. I, I've never felt anything has stopped me because of my sex, no. Yeah, you know, just uh, do do what I can. Because yeah. often here you have a an all female mm. workforce, and I don't know if that's intentional or if that's just happened to be the people that. It's get only been here. the last couple of years. I oh, really okay. Um, it's only been the last couple of years, and I sort of wanted it in a way, just because, just thought it would be nice, um, and it just happened. Yeah, uh, and I like it. We not totally awful when we have men to come in and do the tractor work and yeah and uh, just because their experience in driving tractors is not you know something that somebody's only been for a year or so can, mm. can do not safely anyway um but i like i think we i think we as women kind of think alike and mm. i think we work well as a team yeah, I agree. And what I've noticed is that men don't work as well as a team. Some do, I'm sure. Um, but what I've seen, um, just from my own experience, but um, we think alike and the beauty of everything is very important to me um, and the detail of of that is very important and I find women generally tend to um, mm. have that, but lots of men do too. Very true. Mm. Um and a question that I wanted to ask, which is more of a kind of, uh, I guess, a kind of a personal question, is that I have a like a, a best friend, and mm-hmm. we want to go into a, a start a business together. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you work very closely with Sky, who's a very close friend of yours. Mm-hmm. When you kind of embark on business adventures with friends, mm-hmm. what boundaries do you have to kind of assert between you? Is that difficult or well, maybe? I, I yeah. work with Sky but we don't own the same business. Oh that's true. That's okay. a very different thing. Yeah. Um, I think it's very difficult and I think I'm a great believer in people doing what they're best at. Yes. So I think establishing that establishing what you don't want to do and what you do want to do it's tricky, uh, and and money is always tricky, and can be you know love and money great dividers. True. And I guess it's kind of being equal, I mm. suppose, um, and being aware that yeah. you can have problems, and be. I think the most thing is just promising both of you that you you talk about things and you're brutally honest with each other. If you're not happy, yeah. say so. Try and sort it out. I mean, I guess it's kind of like a marriage in a way. Yeah. Um, just try and, I, you know, and I guess I think it's just keeping it even and everyone appreciating what the other person brings and seeing that as value. Yeah. You know, if somebody's particularly good at accounts, for instance, or something, then fine, you do that. But if they're happy to do that, or if someone's particularly good with customers, mm. you just work that. Generally, I think people, if you allow people to do what they're good at, they like that. But yeah. then you just have to make sure it all balances up. Yeah. And, you know, I would always, if I had a, a partner in business always fifty fifty. Yeah, goes without saying. Otherwise, it's just not. It's not equal. Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even if you own the business and things, just I think that. But yeah, so, um, I think always preparing for the worst. You know, as well. Just just my experience of you know, and just knowing that 
you know, what could go wrong and talk about those sorts of things mm. first. Otherwise, you know, there's always a risk and, yeah. Um, yeah, and hopefully it'll all be fantastic. Yeah. And social media, how much has that impacted your business? Oh, a lot. Do you think it's revolutionised it? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's revolutionised. Yeah. No. Um, but it's, it helps. Yeah. It keeps it steady. Um, it brings in attention that mm. opens doors and so on. Um, no, I think the produce sells. Um, oh, of course, for it speaks for itself. Of course, I'm. I'm. Yeah. I was thinking more like flowers. Oh, I think because they're such a visual thing, and then you get perhaps like younger generations kind of coming in. Or, or... I think so. I think uh, again. I think it's yeah. I guess you know other people posting photographs of our flowers mm. and so on. Then then that's really yeah. Um, it's hugely, hugely important. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of fun. Good, good. And mm. um, <laughs> um, if you could go back in time and give advice to your younger self, mm-hmm. what, what would you tell her? Um, probably to be, to prepare things a bit better rather than just take the st- to, to growing this is um, yeah. to maybe that first year is to uh, you know look at the soil and um, you know pull out those docks and 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 lay the land mm. down properly you know first instead of sort of just ploughing in um, although you know there's nothing like learning mm. you know with with nothing to, to for you to see yeah um, what's next you know, what you need to do. But, yeah, with the knowledge and the experience, you know, just um, prepare your ground. Get it sort of kind of organised, your fencing, your... everything you need, get the right equipment. um, And then just, yeah. Yeah. It's nothing like putting... Just put your boots on and get on with it is the best way. That is good. That is a good way. Yeah. Um, And I'll ask you a final question. Mm. Do you think that, obviously, there's a kind of a trend right now, or I hope it's not a trend, but kind of climate-friendly farming Mm -hmm. and, like, a rise in interest in growing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Save the World Farming has a future? Yes. Yes, I definitely do. I definitely do. Uh, But we do need more boots on the ground, as it were. Mm. Um, We can talk about it. We can be sympathetic. We can try and shop properly and all those sorts of things, but we do need people to do the work. And mm. the work is not is not easy mm. and it's hard and you get wet and you get cold and sometimes it's just a bit much. Yeah. Um, for us, um, that's, you know, it, we just have to have more people to do it. And if there are ways where it's easier for people or people can be supported better... You know, um, and if people do, yeah, with the shopping thing, if people are prepared to pay a bit more money for their food, mm. then the farmers can live and have less of a risky life. Yeah. You know? So, it's it's not a it's not a job for people who want to have you know lots of money and yeah, it, it, it never brings that. Yeah, but it has its rewards in many many ways. Yeah, which is you know obvious. Yeah. And and what about those who, who are at the bottom of like the if they're on that, like the 
the food chain, like, no pun intended, but if they can't afford to buy really high quality and they can't afford to pay more, then yeah. how, what do you think the solution is there? What are the solution is there? I think that uh, <laughs> for me, for the food side of it, I think people really need to know how to cook yeah. properly from, um, you know, really, you know, how to make good quality, tasty food. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to be that more expensive. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> buy seasonally again. I mean, you know, uh, one seasonally is better for you because everything's at its prime. Yeah. And so when everything's at prime, it has a quality to it. Yeah. Um, and it's good for you. Um, but also, if there are bulk, you know, if you have a, if we have a really, you know, a really hot summer and tomatoes are amazing, they're going to be cheap. Yeah. So buy then. Freezer is really good. But I think people learning to cook is really important. I think that you can definitely live cheaply if you can cook well. Yeah. Yeah, and taking the time to do that. Not always possible. People are not always there to do it. But um, I think that is an education, a part of the education system that's not done. They teach people how to, you know, in, in the cooking classes at school, they teach people how to design a, you know, label for yeah, a food I remember project. When I was at school, one of our DT classes was how to make a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great, but yeah. if they taught us how to make a sauce, yeah. it might have been a bit different. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, I don't know, a stew or something. I, I do think, I mean, it sounds a bit sort of, you know, I don't know, but I, I do think that if we had a, a, a more of a culture of cooking, but people are busy and people yeah. have to work. Of course. And yeah. women have to work and, you know, who are normally the cooks in the house. Um, but I think if we did a bit more of that, it'd be good. And I don't think, I think you can, if you cook from scratch, you can eat very cheaply and very well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. I appreciate your time. <laughs> I've loved this. Good. I learned a lot. Good. I hope I asked all the right questions. No, great questions. Very good questions. So are there any questions that you think I should have asked? No. Not really. I mean, you could go on forever, really. Could you you? Could, and yeah. I think you, I think you made a nice story from beginning to end. Good. Really good. Good. Okay. What have I do? So maybe welcome to the Future of Primary podcast. Thank you for agreeing to be on it. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, I had no choice, really. <laughs> no, um, I'm BB. That's about it, really. I work at Fern Vero. I want to grow flowers in the future. So I'm just here learning from Jane, learning from the best. Lovely. Yeah. And can you describe... Um, to people who can't see, what are you doing right now? We are drilling salad in the polytunnel. We're drilling six different varieties so that when our current lot is over, we'll have a perfect timing so that we're not in between crops. Because right now it's what they call the hunger patch. It is. Um, and can you explain what that is to people who don't know? Um, it's a time that falls in the farming year where you're in that like, awkward in-between stage where you're waiting for things to grow and you've not quite got enough to harvest. And it's a time of year that a lot of farmers struggle with. 
Cool. And um, so you're you're twenty. I am indeed. So the perfect <laughs> candidate to, <laughs> to interview for this podcast. Although you're a lot more mature than most twenty-year-olds that I've met. Thank you. Um, certainly more mature than I was when I was twenty. Um, but what? Um, how did you get into farming? Well. I've always wanted, I've tried lots of different career paths and I've always wanted something where I could wake up every morning and I'd know I wasn't aiding the problem. And I've tried lots of different things, lots of different paths. And very recently, my mum went into business with an organic farm back in Jersey, where we grow, where I live. And um, my mum's a chef and she works, she has a production kitchen on an organic farm with the most lovely family I've ever met in my life. And they're the loveliest people. And just watching the love they have for the land and what they do inspired me to do the same. So I came away and I'm learning how to grow. Yeah. And um, you used to work in... You you had a huge role in activism, didn't you? I did for a while, yeah. I um, lived on a lot of different activist camps. And what was the kind of... Are there any stand-up moments from that? Um, I went to one of the most prominent moments was at People's Assembly Rally in London with my friend Ellen. And leading up to it, I'd had a lot of bad climate anxiety and I was really letting it get to me. And just being in a massive group of people who all have a similar passion and a similar fight makes the challenges of the world seem so much more bearable. And I think just mobilising people and coming together and being as part of a community is such an important thing that we, it's one of our fundamental needs as people. And I'd love to, in the future, involve community in whatever my future farming prospects are. Because do you believe that kind of we can save the world through farming? I believe it's, it would have a massive impact. I, I'm not, I don't know the science, I'm not a professional, but I do believe that regenerating the soil would be a massive step towards, in the right direction, towards the climate crisis. And I don't, I don't believe we should ever diminish the power of one person. And I think people that say, I've got, oh, what, but realistically, what's, my, what's me saving my plastic or what's me growing my own carrots gonna do? And I feel like if everyone had that mindset, we'd all come to a halt. And, you know, you can, I don't know the science, but yeah, I think we can save the world through farming. Absolutely. And what advice would you have to young people who are interested in growing or maybe want to become growers but have no idea where to start? I think the Woofing website is a great place to start. And just, yeah, I feel like it's really daunting getting into growing if you have no in. But I'm very lucky that my mum went into business in Jersey with some farmers because otherwise I'd never have had the confidence to just turn up at Fernvero and get on with it. But I think there's loads, now more than ever, there's loads of different platforms for young people to find a community and to find a purpose. And I think it's all just about research and finding a friend that also wants to do it and kind of getting into it together. I think it's so much much easier if you have like a partner in crime. Myself and Dee, I certainly wouldn't have got through it without her. And we live next door to each other. And I know that every morning, even though we're like facing a new battle and something we've never done before, we can both rise to it because you kind of got two brains to share the struggle with. And yeah. It makes it a lot easier. 
So community is, is community. really the most important thing, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I've drilled this bed of cress about seven times now. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I'll, I'll let you go. D, welcome to the Farming for the Future podcast. Hello. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hello, I'm Diana, <laughs> and I work at Fernborough. And what are you doing right now? I am sowing some little germ lettuce seeds. Oh, beautiful. And can you explain what sowing is to people who might not know? So when we propagate, we are taking seeds, putting them into trays and raising them in our greenhouse until they're ready to be planted outside. So it's like a nice, stable climate in here for them to to germinate. Cool. And kind of very basic description, because when I first came here, I didn't know what sewing was. Yeah. So what you do is you get a tray full of, is this a 77? Uh, yeah. So 77 cells, and then you put in two little seeds into each cell. And then you do what you're doing now, which is all very, very gently yeah. covering them and passing them down. Um, and how did you get into farming? Because I think you have a really interesting story. Um, so, yeah. So I started thinking about wanting to learn how to grow food in 2020. But I didn't, didn't have any farming background or didn't have a clue how to get into it at all. It was just kind of like something I'd journal about. Yeah. And then it wasn't until the beginning of 2021 that I found out about being able to go woofing. Yeah. <laughs> and that you could just go and live and work on farms. Um, so I thought, oh, I could just quit my job and go and do that. But then, um, so I was working in public relations and I'd always, always done like office work and very corporate things like for universities and the NHS and things like that. So, yeah, it was a completely, like, alien field to me, but I know I just wanted to learn how to grow food and eventually go off-grid and be completely self-sustainable. Um, so I got into biodynamics because I started finding out about Steiner and... Um, Rudolf Steiner, who created Biodynamics. And, yeah, I'm really interested in astrology, so that, like, was a great crossover. So then I found Firm Vero, because um, you can do, like, a two-year course in Biodynamics. So I was thinking about doing that. So I messaged Firm Vero, and, yeah, they were Jane wasn't doing it, but she was like, come for six weeks to volunteer. And that was a year ago. <laughs> You've been here ever so, since. So, yeah, I just um, quit my job last year arrived at the farm not having a clue what I was going to do what it was going to be like even if I could even like do the work but I've never looked back it's like the best decision I've ever made and I absolutely love love growing yeah <laughs> and what advice would you give to someone who is maybe thinking of making a career change like you did but who doesn't necessarily come from a farming background or have any idea where to start Definitely get on the Woofing website because there's so many places that are just open for volunteers. 
And yeah, even if you're not 100% sure about it, even if you're in a job that you just hate, like just come and work outside, get some clear like headspace and breathe some fresh air and yeah. figure it out. Like even if you don't know that like farming is like your destiny or whatever, it's like, it's, it's just like you're out in the sun, you get exercise, you get to work with plants and nature and it's just so good for your soul and for your well-being. So yeah. I'd recommend it to anyone. Brilliant. <laughs> even if, yeah, even if it's like you just hate your job and want to go and do something else. Like, I feel like I've definitely found, like, my, like, footing in growing now. And it's definitely something I'll stick with. So, yeah, can't recommend it enough. Cool. And a final question. Do you think that we can save the world through farming? Yes, 100%. <laughs> it's so crucial that, like, we stop traditional, well, traditional chemical farming methods. Yeah. Like, the soil is being destroyed, and once it's gone, it's gone. So that's another reason to get into it. Like, you're doing something good every day that's, like, helping the planet, helping the people. It's just a win-win. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And, yeah, and just to heal yourself as well with food that's not... Covered in chemicals, basically. So, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Rose. It's an honour. <laughs> okay. So, what are you doing right now? Mm, I'm just, like, clearing paths, taking the weeds out, because if the weeds... Uh, they flower, they will kind of, they flower and they get ready to seed. They will spread all their seeds to the beds in the greenhouse and then we have a big problem and we have more work and more weeding to do. Exactly. <laughs> and um, would you like to introduce yourself for the podcast? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Joanna. I'm originally from Portugal, but I have been gardening for a while in England for the last last 10 years and doing a bit of care work as well with people with special needs uh-huh. while doing in a garden setting as well yeah, you worked at um, Camp Hill uh, yes and can you describe to people who don't know what Camp Hill is oh. <laughs> quite difficult to like describing just a sentence or two but it's a kind of community where people live with um, it's kind of a family I would say many families and they do live with people with special needs in like in their house like usually not it would be like maybe seven people in a house or eight and you kind of share like your family routines with these people with special needs and they kind of become your family too after a while yes and if if they want to move like to a more independent setting, they can do it, it's really up to them. They're, they're quite independent hmm. as well, some of the guys, and they just live a life like us. With yeah. Just a tiny bit of help. And and how did you first get into into farming? Ooh. <laughs> oh, I think maybe from childhood, seeing like my family cutting wood in the forest and digging out potatoes every August was quite kind of fun yes for a child yeah. <laughs> just getting getting into the dirt <laughs> yeah and, the, and what advice would you have yeah. for people who maybe haven't grown up watching people farm but kind of want to 
become a grower or a farmer? How would, how would you advise them to kind of get into it? I think just starting in every like small way even, just having some pots in our balcony, buy seed, see it like from, sow it, just tend to this plant like from the beginning, you will get addicted to it. Really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's and, quite um, easy to get addicted to. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> um, and do you think that we can save the world through farming? Mm, I do think so, depending on the like farming techniques. I do think we really can balance farming with them, um, with like habitat, habitat saving, and you really, if you do like organic, if you use organic techniques and you really tend to your soil and your biodiversity in the local area. And if many people does that, then it's, there are many places, yes, really like with healthy soil, healthy trees, plants, flowers, vegetables, everything. I think it really, it really it's a good, good starting point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant. And, and a final question. You know a lot about biodynamics. Do you think that it has a big effect on, on the soil and the plants? Mm, I think it, it, can, it can have. Yeah, it's like, it's a great, it's like one of the first organic movements, actually, I think in Europe, like at least that was kind of talked about, I'm sure before that there were some others. And it's really like a, just working with the, with constellations, basically working with the rhythms of nature mm. and include, including that in your work. Yes, and I think that's very special. And I think almost every gardener that just touched the soil and tends to it really begins to pay attention to it. Uh, either they are aware or not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they are kind of doing biodynamic agriculture in their own way sometimes yeah. without even knowing it. But yeah, cool. I think it's, yeah, it's a good way. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Hi, guys. I just wanted to come back on before the podcast ended and acknowledge part of the conversation that I had with Jane, which was talking about how we can make good, nutritious food accessible to everyone, especially to those who can't afford it. And she answered education. And I just want to acknowledge that some might regard this as a classist argument which places onus on the individual to access good quality food and education rather than on the government and systems that make that food harder to access. I would say that yes, education is a big part of it and I think that We Are Grow, who I will be talking to on next week's episode and charities like Chefs and Schools are great examples of organisations that are aiming to provide education, good food and um, community to children. Um, and to people from lower income backgrounds. Food is so much more than fuel. Um, In the words of Ruby Tando, food is currency, it's comfort, it's belonging, it's support, it's community, it's confidence and it's love. And when we dismantle a system that makes food and pleasure contingent upon worth, we find that we all deserve to eat well. Um, So I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that conversation and saying that neither I and I'm sure nor Jane are trying to kind of put it on the individual and we both acknowledge that there are bigger systems that need to be dismantled and need to be reassessed and I think there are many great organisations out there like Bite Back 
like chefs and schools like we are grow which are aiming um to do just that so yeah i just wanted to come back on and say that um and acknowledge that and so if anyone felt kind of angry or uh disgruntled by that i just wanted to kind of acknowledge that and, and have that out there i really hope that you enjoyed today's episode uh next week i will be talking to sarah and chris um from we are grows agroecological farm um at the Tosters academy in high barnet um it's a really great kind of i think really interesting conversation about you know the future of young people in farming um and how we can provide nutritious um and delicious food to um to all members of society um and thank you as ever to, to Ade for production to Alice for sound design and to Hugo for graphics um catch you next week guys thank you so much bye